الحمد للہ الحمد للہ الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنحتدی لولا ان هدانا اللہ وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الحمد وله الملك يحيي ويميت بيده الخير وهو على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن محمدًا عبد الله ورسوله وصفيه وخليله أرسله الله للناس نذيرًا وبشيرًا لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لمن كان يرجو الله واليوم الآخر وذكر الله كثيرا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فقد رشد وَمَنْ يَعْصِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَأُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَالًا بَعِيدًا أُصِيكُمْ وَنَفْسِيَ أَوَّلًا بِتَقْوَى اللَّهِ وَطَاعَتِهِ وَأُحَذِّرُكُمْ مِنْ عِسْيَانِهِ وَمُخَالَفَةِ أَمْرِهِ أَمَّا بَعْدْ فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الْحَدِيثِ كِتَابُ اللَّهِ وَأَحْسَنَ الْهَدْيِ هَدْيُ مُحَمَّدِ وَشَرُّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْدَثَاتُهَا وَكُلُّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلُّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ وَكُلُّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ يقول الله عز وجل وهو أصدق القائلين في كتابه الكريم إن الله فالق الحب والنوى يخرج الحي من الميت ومخرج الميت من الحي ذلكم الله فأنا تؤفكون Brothers and sisters committed Muslims Sometimes in order to be more attuned to our Islamic responsibilities it helps to take a look at the real world around us for the ayat of Allah apply to this real world the ayah that was just quoted this is ayah number 95 from Surah Al-An'am. This ayah that was just quoted may appear to be innocuous enough. And some may even say that its subject matter does not merit attention on a Jum'ah when there are so many more important things that are going on. And on the face of it, this may be true. Until we pause for a moment and consider 
the notion of man playing God. And so Allah Ta'ala says, Inna Allaha faliqul habbi wa nawa Indeed, Allah is the one who cleaves asunder the seed and the fruit and the fruit kernel, bringing forth life from that which is dead. And He is the one who has the capability of bringing forth the dead out of that which was alive. This then is Allah. And yet how distorted are your minds? Before I get into how this ayah describes the real world around us, Let us see what important facts we can immediately understand from the meaning of this ayah. And as the general talk about the real world around us is equated with facts and figures and other considerations, I would like you to indulge me a little bit and bear with me through these facts and figures until we get to the final point. And I will try as much as I can to keep this information and this data as brief as possible. The first important thing to understand from this ayah is Allah is the one who splits the seed, who cleaves the grain, and the Arabic word hub could refer to either a seed or a grain. And this applies to all grains that are cultivated and harvested and used uh, to distill spirits, grains that are consumed by animals, etc. The important point to note here, a point that the secular world around us tries to ignore, is that when Allah Ta'ala parts the seed or the grain, this is what initiates the germination and the reproduction process in plants. And Allah is the one who has, and He is the only one, who has the capacity to bring out life from that which had no life to begin with. To initiate life, in its origin, from nothing. And He is the only one who has the capacity to reverse this process. And those human beings who choose not to affirm Allah's role in the germination and reproduction process of plants, they feel that they can interfere with Allah's authority in the real world. And it is this displacement of, us, of Allah's authority to man that is responsible for all of the tension and instability in the social structures that man lives in, ultimately leading to crisis, conflict and war. And so now let us take a look at a case in point from the real world. Let us consider what happens when man dismisses Allah's authority and replaces it with his own.
Consider the mechanized corporate food industry in the United States. This industry has been profiting off of overfeeding and undernourishing the population of the United States. It is a for-profit industry and for the purposes of that profit it has reduced the American access to a variety of plants, vegetables, fruits and grains in order to overproduce soy and corn. In order to bring one food calorie to your grocery shelves, 87 calories of fuel energy are consumed in transporting that food from one part of the country to another. Now that equation of 87 to 1 doesn't make sense even in capitalism. Yet, nonetheless, this is what is happening in the food processing industry in the United States and by extension all over the world. A typical American is consuming over 55 gallons of soft drinks every year. And those soft drinks are loaded, and you can guess this, with high fructose corn syrup, one of the key commercial crops in the United States and the world. But when Americans are consuming this much of these processed foods, which are not real foods, they are obviously not consuming enough of the real foods that Allah Ta'ala has created in fruits and vegetables and grains and seeds. And they will tell you that we don't consume these foods because they have no taste, they have no flavor, they have no nutrition. And this is not far from the point. And part of the reason that they have no flavor and no nutrition is because they are transported hundreds and thousands of miles from one part of the country to another. And in the process of moving this food from one coast to another coast, the volatile oils in these foods begin to dissipate and thereby the flavor is lost. And the enzymes begin to denature and thereby the protein and the fiber content of the, f of the food begins to go away. And so the net result is that you end up with a grocery store full of food that has no nutritive value and food that has no taste and no smell. The way that Allah Ta'ala created things is that such fruits and vegetables were meant to be picked fresh and eaten. And that such fruits and vegetables are fertilized by open pollination. However, when a profit-minded mentality gets into this mix, it decides that it can mess with this process of cleaving the grain and initiating the germination and reproduction process of plants. And so the first intrusion into this process by man took place about 120 years ago at the turn of the 19th century to the 20th century. And this was called hybridization. And in, hybridiz in hybridization, two species of a plant from the same genus are force crossed to yield a set of characteristics in the resulting hybrid. And these characteristics are the desirable characteristics of both the parents.
However, when a hybridization process is initiated, there is no telling what the second generation of seeds are going to produce. That's unpredictable. And in most of these cases, when the second generation of seeds are planted, they accumulate a whole range of undesirable characteristics. And for this reason, hybrid seeds and grains have to be purchased from the agribusinesses that manufactured them. And so if a, if a farmer wants to have a high yield with hybrid seeds, he has to go back and purchase those seeds every year from the agricultural corporation that produced, created, and manufactured those seeds. Whereas the way that Allah created things, if you plant a grain or a seed or a vegetable, that vegetable gives you seeds free of charge that you can plant in the following season and in succeeding seasons. The next human interference in this process of plant reproduction and fertilization is genetic engineering and the so-called genetically, genetically engineered crops, foods, fruits and vegetables. And genetic engineering actually goes a lot further than hybridization. In this particular case, a gene engineer splices a bacterial or an animal gene inside of a plant. Now in the natural order of things, these two species, animals and plants, are not supposed to have sexual contact. And the desire is to, to introduce these genes into plants so that these plants are resistant to herbicides and to devastation by insects. And one of the brainchilds that has come out of this genetic engineering racket is the so-called termination gene. That these plants the seeds are genetically engineered to have a life of only one season. Meaning at the end of the season, the plant dies. And so the, the farmer who plants these seeds and raises them to harvest, he cannot save the seeds from these plants and plant them the following year. He has to go back to whoever genetically engineered these seeds and purchased these seeds every year from these manufacturers. And so you can see where the profits are going. By contrast, once again, the way that Allah created things and today these seeds that are unaltered, unengineered, Today they are called heirloom seeds or heirloom grains. So by contrast, these heirloom grains, which are, which are untampered with by man, they pass on the most desirable characteristics from generation to generation. And if they are properly cultivated, and if they are properly bred, then the farmers don't need to purchase the seeds of these grains after harvest from those who manufactured them. Because the fruits and the vegetables produce their own seed which can be replanted the following generation. And so the most desirable characteristics in flavor, in taste, in smell, in protein content, in starch content, in vitamin content, is passed on from generation to generation naturally. But man thinks that he can do better than Allah.
Of course, these high, these heirloom seeds, the ones that are untampered with by men, are of no interest to corporate capitalism. Corporate capitalism is only interested in the seeds that it can patent and the seeds that it can own. And this is where I want you to listen very closely. The fruits and vegetables that you see in your grocery stores, they have been bred for long shelf life to be able to tolerate long distances in transportation and refrigeration, to be able to look the same, to be able to be cartoned. That's why we have a square tomato these days. So that it can be packaged. If you, if you go out to a vegetable garden that you may grow on your own, do all the tomatoes look the same? Do all the cucumbers look the same? Do all the cantaloupes and the watermelons, are they all the same size? But nonetheless, this is how the stuff that you see on your grocery store shelves is bred and manufactured. It's selected by people sitting in an office, not for flavor and nutrition, but for profit. And so because of this attitude and this approach, to select only those fruits and vegetables that can be transported and that have a long shelf life, thousands of varieties of fruits and vegetables have been withdrawn from the American dinner table, and by extension, the world dinner table. Thousands upon thousands. And brothers and sisters, pay close attention here. We know that as far as the human genome is concerned, that inbreeding weakens the gene pool. The more that human beings breed within a limited gene pool, the weaker the entire gene pool gets. This is well known from studies of genetics, from studies of biology. And so why wouldn't that apply to fruits and vegetables? When you take thousands and thousands of varieties of fruits and vegetables out of the food chain, will that not limit the biodiversity of that food and weaken the gene pool? And then what about the organisms that are consuming a limited variety of fruits and vegetables, the animals and the insects, wouldn't their gene pool also be weakened? And then what about human beings? who are only consuming a limited variety of fruits and vegetables. And those also not bred or not created for nutrition. What's going to happen to human beings? Aren't they going to suffer a wide variety of illnesses? Aren't healthcare costs going to go up? And we are experiencing all of this today. Now when you don't take thousands and thousands of varieties of fruits and vegetables from seed to fruit, then those varieties of foods, fruits and vegetables become extinct. They're just gone forever. When you don't produce them, when you don't raise them, they're gone. And because of this to a large extent in the world, what used to be a wide variety of fruits and vegetables and grains and seeds all over the world are now gone. Because human beings simply stopped consuming them. And this was a contract killing managed by the world's large agribusiness corporations. Peru is the home of the potato. Before the big agribusiness concerns got into the mix for profit, there used to be 4,000 varieties of potatoes that came from Peru. 4,000 varieties, raised for different reasons. 
They ranged in color from purple to orange to white. They ranged in size from very small to very large. From a low starch content to a high starch content. Today, brothers and sisters, would you believe there are less than a dozen varieties of potatoes which are marketed internationally? From 4,000 down to a dozen. The Muslim East used to be the home of wheat. There were thousands upon thousands of varieties of wheat. Today, they're just a handful. Mexico and Central America used to be the home of corn. Again, thousands and thousands of varieties. Today, there are three. And the vast majority of them are dedicated to field corn, which is fed to livestock for meat production. It's not even meant for human beings. There used to be dozens of varieties of pineapple in, in the Hawaiian Islands. Now there are two. By those who research this kind of thing, it is said that human beings used to consume over 80,000 varieties and species of plants, vegetables, fruits, grains, and seeds. Today, 75% of the world's food production comes from eight species of plants and grains. Now, how is this going to affect human health? They're worried about healthcare costs and how they're out of control in this country. It's supposed to be the most advanced country in the world and in history. And it can't figure out how to manage its healthcare costs. What they ought to be managing is the greed of their agribusiness concerns. Rather than the variety that the average American ought to be consuming on his dinner table. Much of this has happened because corporations are now, are now allowed to own the gene character of a plant. A corporation can patent the DNA sequence of a plant and thereby own it. This process of owning plants and the DNA sequence of plants was initiated by government fiat in this country in 1970 by the so-called Plant Variety Protection Act. In essence, this is the United States government protecting corporations as they withdraw food from starving people. Today, 98% of the world's seed sales come from only six corporations. Three of them are Dow Chemical, DuPont, and Monsanto. And these corporations spend billions of dollars in trying to increase food production, but only in ways that they can control. One way of controlling food production is by what we just mentioned in a termination gene where the plant just dies after one season. Another way to control food production is to patent the plant genome and withdraw it from circulation. You own it, you can withdraw it. You own it, you can make it available for sale. You don't have to have a reason for, for, for making it available. For, for distributing it and you don't have to have a reason for withdrawing it. And in fact, one U.S. corporation withdrew 75% of its plant offerings to farmers as a cost-cutting measure. There are starving people all over the world. The most important asset in the world is the human mind is the human being. And yet there are other people who think that a dollar in the bank is more important than a human life. 
and thus they operate that way let me just quickly bring this point home about 120 years ago that's about the turn of the century from the 19th to the 20th century there was something like 700 varieties of almonds available in the world for people to consume today there are seven and the majority of those seven varieties 75% of the world's almond production comes from California and 40% of those almond farms in California are owned by one corporation. That means that 35% of the world's almond production for sale and distribution comes from one corporation. Now the biggest competitor to California almond production came from that part of Central Asia that is now Afghanistan, Iran, Balochistan, and a couple of other Central Asian republics. Now is it a stretch for anyone to imagine that 75% of the world's almond production that's worth six billion dollars three billion dollars to one corporation is it a stretch to imagine that the lobbyists of those corporations could put pressure on the US government to take out a competitor halfway across the world to wit the wars that have been taking place in Afghanistan for the last 30 or 40 years the isolation of Islamic Iran the destabilization of Balochistan. Could some pinhead sitting in an office in California, in Los Angeles or Sacramento or San Francisco, for a few dollars more or a fistful of dollars, could he put pressure on his congressman? to take out a portion of the world that could increase profits back home. This kind of rape capitalism, and I'm choosing my words carefully here, this kind of rape capitalism is like a runaway freight train without a conductor. You know it's going to crash, but you don't know how much destruction it's going to leave in its wake. This practice of separating humanity from a variety of health-giving fruits and vegetables. Is leading all of humanity to catastrophic starvation and ultimately extinction. But this is what happens when Kufr replaces Iman as the leader of the world. Those who claim to be committed to Allah, they are supposed to stem this human characteristic, this characteristic in human nature of greed. But where are they? They have been sidelined by a personalized and a parochialized Islam whose tawheed only responds to amulets and charms and idols made of wood or stone or black magic. 
how is this kind of Islam different from something that you see on your grocery shelves that looks like a tomato and feels like a tomato but has no smell, has no taste and has no food value. We have a commodity Islam that provides no guidance for the soul in a world that has commodity produce that provides no fuel and no food value for the body. And in saying that, I hope you can come to grips with the broader meanings of this ayah. Inna allaha faliqul habbi wa nawa yukhrijul hayya min al-mayyit wa mukhrijul mayyiti min al-hayy thalikum allah wa anna tu'fakun أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروه يغفر لكم فاسترشدوه يرشدكم Alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. We know who has been marketing this personalized and parochial Islam. This Islam of a reductionist tawheed and a quick and dirty takfir. We know the part of the world that is pushing this kind of Islam. And all of us are aware if we have been paying attention to the news that this throwback kingdom is now in the process of a palace coup or a purge, call it what you want. In the past week, under the cover of an anti-corruption campaign, they have rounded up over 200 mostly wealthy people, inclusive of 11 princes and a myriad number of businessmen, saying that these people and others that they're going to arrest in the coming weeks have been responsible for embezzling over a hundred billion dollars over the last several years. Despotism is a sign of failure, not advancement and progress. And in justifying This roundup of all of these people, the foreign minister of that country, is a person by the name of Adil al-Jubair, used to be the Saudi ambassador to the United States, many confirmed stories have reported that he is gay. And so in justifying this, he gave an interview to CNN and he said the following, and I want you to listen closely. With regard to this anti-corruption campaign, 
It shows we have accepted a zero-balanced policy on corruption. A sizable percentage of our budget we discovered was being stolen. And this cannot stand. Where you have corruption, you cannot have justice. You cannot have investment. You cannot have efficient and transparent government. What a crock of MBS that is. He's talking about transparency in government. Well, let's test his words with what's been going on. If you're telling us that you're going to be transparent, well, we want some answers. Why did Saad Hariri, the Prime Minister of Lebanon, all of a sudden resign? Does anybody know of his whereabouts? Why did MBS accompany his resignation? And since when can you get the Prime Minister of a sovereign country to resign if you are not part of his constituency? It's one thing for a constituency to force their leaders to resign. But if you don't even belong to his constituency, how did you get him to resign? What do you have over him? We want some transparency. What about King Salman's nephews? These are the brothers of Salman, who is the current sort of demented king or senile king. His son is the one who is the sort of the de facto ruler. And this power play is probably meant to consolidate his position so that he could become king. But nonetheless, since we're talking about transparency, what about Salman's nephews? These would be MBS's cousins. Abdul Aziz ibn Fahd. Where is he? Is he dead? Is he being tortured in Abu Dhabi? Who knows? Mansur ibn Mukrin. Mukrin is Sal was Salman's brother. So Mukrin's son Mansur, he just happened to get killed in a helicopter crash. This just happened this week. Muhammad ibn Nayef, the previous crown prince, you can call him the previous clown prince if you want, he's under house arrest. Mut'ib ibn Abdullah, Abdullah was another brother of Salman, who was the most recent king before Salman. Mut'ib used to be the head of the National Guard. He was just arrested. Now what were the charges? You want to be transparent, right? What were the charges against all of these people who happened to be your cousins? What are the charges? We want transparency, tell us. What about the scores and hundreds of scholars that were put in prison a couple of months ago? Or disappeared a couple of months ago? Once again, what are the charges? Why did they disappear? Why were they rounded up? Again, we want transparency. You're saying that you're giving transparency. Give us some answers. It said that America, uh, it said that Aramco, that's the Arabian American Oil Corporation, that Aramco is going to go public in the New York Stock Exchange. This is a Saudi corporation. Why is it going public in the New York Stock Exchange? Going public means that you're going to make your assets available, you're going to make them open to investors to purchase. Going public me generally means that a whole bunch of capital is going to come in that you can decide whatever you want to do with. 
And Aramco is widely considered to be the largest corporation in the whole world. So with their, I'm not aware of a national discussion in Saudi Arabia about whether Aramco should go public even. And then if it does go public, it should go public in the New York Stock Exchange. Who made that decision? We want some transparency. Tell us who made that decision. By the way, the president of this country has been tweeting left and right, politicking to get Aramco to go public on the New York Stock Exchange. Of course, he doesn't have to do a lot of politicking in that regard. All he has to do is give his, his minion an order over there and he'll do as he's told. What about the war in Yemen? We want some transparency there. How much is this kingdom spending on the war in Yemen? Estimates say that it's anywhere from 100 million to 500 million dollars a day is being spent on the war in Yemen. And this is at a time where the kingdom is experiencing an economic downturn. For the last seven or eight years, the prices of oil have gone through the floor. And so is it that this anti-corruption campaign is to confiscate the assets of the wealthy people in the country to continue the war in Yemen? And to continue other wars? And then what about President Trump's son-in-law's visit to Saudi Arabia, the secret visit? He's been there secretly three times. And after this most recent time that he went there, perhaps the day that he left, this is what initiated the anti-corruption campaign. The timing, shall we say it's coincidental? We want some transparency. Tell us, give us some answers. What did you discuss in that meeting with that person? And we want to also ask, since we're being transparent here, that every time this son-in-law goes to Israel, why isn't there a similar overturning of the old boys network over there? Why is there only an overturning of the monarchy and uh, a power play and a purge and a coup going on in Saudi Arabia? Why not in Israel? There's an old boys network over there also. So long as you're interested in transparency, please give us these answers. There are only two countries in the world, two major countries, that have publicly applauded what they see going on in Arabia. In fact, the president of this country tweeted yesterday that the king and his son know exactly what they're doing. Perhaps he should have said that we in Washington know exactly what they're doing. And so the only two countries in the world that have applauded what's going on in that throwback kingdom are Israel and the United States. And perhaps for all of those who are looking at this situation, this should mean something to them. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan wa zuqna attiba'a wa arina al-baatila baatilan wa zuqna ajtinaba اللهم اغفر للمؤمنين والمؤمنات الأحياء منهم والأموات إنك قريب سميع مجيب الدعوات اللهم ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد 
وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر في هسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم عباد الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن 